Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, excited that you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, my name's Ben. Along with my beautiful wife, we lead this amazing church. Um, and we're excited that you're with us. We're in the middle of a series called Here Am I, Send Me. This is part three. Um, and it's all about the concept of evangelizing, but evangelizing in health and understanding who we are and how God has created us and how we do all that he's asked us to do as ambassadors of Christ in this world in his strength, not our own strength. And so we're going to continue that. Uh, today's sermon is called Perfection is Not Proximity. Last week, Pastor Emma spoke an incredible uh, message. And if you didn't get to hear it, you can podcast it. It's on our YouTube channel. Uh, but it was all around that idea that Jesus came down and he spoke to his disciples, but he called them first by saying, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. And, and it's that whole understanding that God's call leads to our commissioning. There's a progression there. And we've got to first answer the call of Christ in our life to that follow me and then allow him to make us, allow him to have that defining factor in our life, that, that whole idea that we are the clay and, and our Lord is the potter. Some of you that have been here for a while, you remember that old song? You know? You are the potter. Okay, anyone else remember that? I am the clay. Sounds like a, like a, a hobbit chant, but it's, it's lovely. I like it. I like Mold me and make me. Oh, man, that, yes, come on. I remember this. This is what I grew up with. And, and, and I know in many ways things have changed and evolved. But do you know what? Some of the most hardest moments in my life where I need to be transformed, where I need Jesus to really be the focus, these songs come to me in the shower. Like the Holy Spirit just speaks to me in these songs. And I'm like, I was like five years old when I sung that song last. But I'm in the shower. Mold me and me. crying and just thanking the Lord that he's so good that he would even be concerned with someone like me, that he would see value in me. And so when we talk about that understanding that Jesus comes and says, follow me, it's because he sees so much value in you. You're not a means to an end. You are his. You're his prize. You're the reason he came, the apple of his eye. And so when he says, follow me and I will make you, it's because he understands the purposes that he created you for are far greater than the promises of the world. And that if you're to live in your fullness in him, it requires a full surrendering to him. And so we're going to talk about this idea that we're not just desiring this, you know, I want to be the, the most perfect person. We're not here to be perfect we're here to follow the one that is perfect. I'm going to read to you our, our anchoring scripture verse for this series. And it's based around Isaiah the prophet. And he, he gets swept up into heaven. He sees his vision. And it's in Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. I'm going to read it to you if you have Bibles. You can turn there with me. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with their, uh, the remaining two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps 
and the thresholds and the doorposts, sorry, shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. In the first uh, part of this sermon series, we discussed that, that the vision that Isaiah sees here of the Lord making these statements, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He's not saying it to Isaiah. Ever been in a conversation where you overhear somebody, but they don't know or they don't acknowledge that you're there and they're having an outward thought to themselves? You see it in sports all the time, right? Where like a sportsman, especially tennis players, I've been playing tennis a lot more lately. um, You have conversations with yourself in any other setting, it'd be weird, right? Do you get get what I'm saying? Like when you miss a shot and you're like, you can do better. Just go through the motions and you talk out loud. It's actually called a soliloquy. That's what the terminology is, is when we talk out loud to ourselves, right? We, we ponder out loud. And this is what God is doing. He's speaking out loud the nature of his heart. Whom shall I send who will go for us? And so I say this so you understand that Isaiah's response is not because God is honing in right on him, looking at him, putting all this pressure on him. Forcing him to say, yeah, okay, I'll go. What's happening here, he's hearing the very heart of God, the nature of God's call, and he's being moved. Not out of compulsion, but out of free will, he responds, here am I. Use me, send me, commission me. I'll go for you. I'll be your voice. I'll be your hands. I'll be your feet. I'll bring the message. He responds to God's nature. And we talked about this. And so this morning, I want to really have that conversation that perfection is not proximity. We talked about that if you're to be called and understand the call of God, you've got to be close to him. There's got to be be his nature that you're attuned to. See, we live in a world where we're constantly casting vision. And I think it's important as a church, we have a vision, we have a mission statement, and it helps guide and lead us. And you should have one for your own life, a personal vision. But too many Christians live their life looking for vision even though they're spiritually deaf. You're going to understand in the Bible, when you read how God moves and how he leads, he does that more through verbs, more through nouns, adjectives, all those things that you can't see. Do you get what I'm saying? What is he doing? He speaks. So we can have the best vision. You can have 20-20 vision but be spiritually deaf. And no wonder we keep asking the question, God, what is my calling? I want to see it. But it's his nature and being attuned to his nature, surrendered to him that allows us to hear, allows us to eventually see. But there's a problem, right? Because what happens is we say yes to Jesus and we begin down that journey of the commissioning and we begin to look to the left and the right and we begin to see, hey, 
There's things I can at least project that makes me look like I'm closer to God than I actually am. And I can convince myself even better. I can convince others that I've got it all together. I can make this perfect life actually commission me. And all of a sudden, we're living in a perfect commissioning that we think God wants, not a proximity that leads to commissioning. And so let's discuss that this morning. It's, it's one of those things that God has in his Bible, multiple interactions and illustrations we can look to and begin to see what he really thinks about something like perfection. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a specific scripture verse, a specific interaction that takes place. We heard last week that Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. He says to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Between that moment and his, uh, his crucifixion and resurrection, is about three and a half years. And in that three and a half years, he does a lot of moldy and making of the disciples and his followers. And we know this because a lot of these moments are being included in scripture for us to glean from, to learn from, to be transformed by one such story is called, or is titled in the, uh, the Bible, The Rich Young Ruler. It's in Luke 18, verse 18 to 23. And we're going to read this story. And we're going to go through verse by verse between verse 18 and 23. And we're going to pull out, we're going to dive a little bit this morning. We're going to pull out what we can learn about perfection versus proximity. And why the call of Christ on our life is not about our perfection. It's always been about proximity because perfection speaks to an outward, an outward perception. But proximity speaks to relationship. I want to be close to Jesus. And as I get closer to him, I become more like him. We hear those sayings, birds of a feather flock together. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. They're actually strangely accurate. It's almost biblical because at the end of the day, if Jesus is your best friend, your future is the best it can ever be, right? Like if you, if you saw with Jesus, you are part of the best flock you could ever be. It's going to take you places and renew you like no one else can. And so we see this rich young ruler enter into Jesus's ministry and he encounters Christ and he He's got everything together, yet he's missing so much. And so let's have a look at it. Let me read it for you. Verse 18, chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke, it says this. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know my commandments or the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony Honor your mother and father. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the man replied. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. When he heard this, the man became very sad because he was very wealthy. Man, I want to be blessed. I want to live a life that's blessed. I want God's hand of blessing on my life. But what I've learned in the very long 34 years I've been alive, that blessing and perfection 
are two different things. It's why the gospel is for everyone. Because if the gospel was about a perfect earthly life, then how is it applicable to all the people that follow him that do not live above the poverty line? It's a Western-centric theology to think perfection equals blessing. I want a blessed life. You know, the greatest illusion you can ever invest in is the belief that life was meant to be perfect. And I say that because it's one of those things. There's no evidence to prove your life can be perfect, yet we do everything in our ability to try and make it perfect. There is not one witness outside of Christ that's ever lived that can say, I've had a perfect run at this. Yet for whatever reason, we buy into marketing, we buy into the advertising, the social media comparisons and tell ourselves, if I just do this, if I just do this, if I can look like this, if I can have the right angle, if I can, you know, the right filter comes along. Some of us, doesn't matter how good the filter is. (laughs) Ain't going to help. Before we jump in, I want you to understand these things about the rich young ruler. One, he is the perfect projection of desired earthly perfection. I want you to hear that again. He's the perfect projection of desired earthly perfection. This man is not hostile towards Jesus. He's actually asking this question genuinely. How do I inherit eternal life? See, the language used in the Greek does not lend itself to the notion that this man is trying to trip Jesus up. He's not trying to make Jesus stumble. And I say this because the way he's introduced and in the original Greek, we're pretty sure this guy is either a Pharisee or from that part of society, very influenced. That's why he's rich and young. It's why he's considered a ruler but not a king. He has authority and influence in society. But he doesn't trip Jesus up. He's not trying to. Earlier on, someone asked the same question from the the pharisaical sect. And they were trying to trip Jesus up. This guy is authentic. He wants to know, hey, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? Last thing I need you to remember. And this is what I want you to have as a lens this morning over what we're about to discuss. This man's heart is on show to Jesus the whole time. I mean the whole time. You've got to understand this. Jesus sees every inch, every part, every attitude, motivation, conception, misconception this man has. It's on show for Jesus. It's really good for you to know that because the same applies to us right now. So every thought, every reaction you have to the story we're about to talk about, Jesus sees your heart. The first step that we can take this morning is to remove that false thought that we can at least trick Jesus. Let him do the work. Lay your heart down right now. So let's look at this. Verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked him, this is the rich young ruler, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a very important question. It's a very important part of the story because everything that proceeds moving forward is centered around this question. What I love about this question is that I don't believe that there's one person that has lived into full adulthood that hasn't asked the question themselves. What happens after my death? This is a unifying 
question. This question all of a sudden means we all should pay attention to Jesus' answer because it's applicable not to just me, not to just my neighbor, but everyone that has ever existed exists now and it is to come. What happens when I die? What's the pathway to eternal life? It's the humanizing question in this text. When we read about something like this, you've got to first find where Jesus is, and then you've got to find where humanity is. Jesus is there. He's good teacher. So we now know that in this story, he's the perceived authority. The question is going to be answered by him. The question is the humanizing factor. This applies to us all. Everything about the story we're about to discuss flows through this question. If you've never asked this question before, it's a good question to ask. If you've never been in church before or even heard about Jesus, well, this morning is very much for you. What I love about this is that when we read beyond this question, Jesus takes a very different route in answering it than he did with Thomas. Thomas, his disciple, essentially asks the same question. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And Jesus' response is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What I find interesting is Jesus could have said the same thing to the rich young ruler, but he chooses not to. He chooses not to because the issue here is of perfection and wealth. See, Thomas wasn't coming from a place of having everything he ever needed on an earthly context. He's coming surrendered. It's a genuine question as well, but he's coming fully surrendered. He spent time, like, and we know Thomas goes on to doubt Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine ending up with the moniker, Doubting Thomas. If you thought of your lowest moment right now, and that was going to be your description before your name. What would it be? Right? It'd be short fuse Ben. Do you know what I mean? If you've been around me long enough, you know my fuse is short. Over the, but over things it shouldn't be, and then things it should be, it's not short. It's real long. I don't know why or where I got that from. Jesus takes a different route. He instantly begins to deal with this concept of perfection over proximity. See, Thomas understood, Jesus, we don't know the way. Don't leave us. We need, it. We need to know where we're going. You, you haven't... There's this understanding, I need to be right next to Jesus if I'm to get the answer. That's Thomas's heart. But with the rich young ruler, it's what's my inheritance? Isn't it interesting? How do I inherit eternal life? Like I've inherited my wealth like I've inherited my influence, like I've inherited my social status. Can I tell you right now, this first question immediately indicates that the rich young ruler is a perfect example of the rich Western church. Though for us this morning, it is paramount we look at Jesus' response. It is paramount we look at his response. Verse 19 says this, why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus is not admitting to sinfulness here. He's not about to begin to take this man down the fact that he is divine, God himself. 
It's not what he's doing. What he's doing is challenging the man's terminology. His heart behind the title he gave Christ. He said, good teacher. Really what Jesus is saying here is, why are you cheapening the word good? Why are you cheapening the word? See, Jesus leads us to believe that the man is using the word good as a sense of flattery. Right? Like ever flattered somebody before? Ever used it to get what you wanted? Stand up. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's like a trap. Anyway, Jesus is challenging that this man is going through. See, he uses the right terminology customarily. I love this. I love that. I love you. Ever been around someone that loves everything? To the point, like, you're there and they're looking at an ant's nest. They're like, I love ants. And then they'll turn to you and like, I love you. And I'll be, all of a sudden, how loved do you feel? Right? Because you're like, that's a nasty bunch of ants and you love that. It's going to cause you nothing but pain. Or, or they'll be like, oh, I love this sandwich. The next type of person is, that's my favorite. It's my favorite song. It's my favorite musician. I'm like, it's my favorite shoes. You're my favorite person. That's my favorite, favorite, favorite. I'm like, talk about short fuse. <laughs> I'm like, if everything's your favorite, what is it worth? Doesn't that just mean everything's just normal to you? Everyone, any one of those people in your life? You're my favorite pastor. I know you say that to all the other pastors. <laughs> That was my favorite message. Awesome. (laughs) You know those people? Youth pastors love this word. It's like they get the commission to be a youth pastor and God removes every word from their vocabulary except for awesome. (laughs) How was youth this week? Awesome. What did God do? Oh, man, he's awesome. As your leaders, they're so awesome. Jesus immediately questions the ruler about the word good. He stresses only God is good, and that's because Jesus takes as many opportunities as he can to talk about the characteristic of his father. He's not admitting sinfulness here or leading the ruler to realize his divinity. He's just reminding him that goodness only comes from God. What Jesus is really trying to do here by challenging the man's way of speaking is trying to instill value back into the word. Right? And so if you were someone that says you love everything and you encounter me, you can ask all my leaders. I'd be like, is there something you don't love? Because what am I trying to do? I'm trying to allow you to reestablish the word love into a higher value. Words have an economy, right? Supply and demand. What happens if the market is flooded with a particular product? What's its value? Drops, doesn't it? So Jesus is trying to remind us, don't just use words to make it look perfect. 
Don't address him to make it look like you're perfect. We do this around each other. Oh, majesty, wonderful, worthy. We use all the right words. But we're using those words, and this is why I remind us during the worship, like what do they actually mean? Because when we use them frivolously, what we're really doing is we're just positioning ourselves in a posture of perfection, and our words are irrelevant about God, just like this rich young ruler. He says, good teacher. Why? Because he's just flattering Jesus. He's just allowing everyone to know it's not about Jesus in this moment. It's about him. Man, we've all, we've all done this before, right? Come to church, had a bad week, and you're like, man, I've got to put on my mask. So the moment you hop out of your car, like you could have been in the car with your kids. Shut up, kids. If you let me down one more time, I will leave you on the street. Get out of the car. We serve a good God. <laughs> Isn't Jesus good? He's a good dog. Worthy. And then you look at your kids. <laughs> He's reinstating value in the word good. This morning, the only way you can know God is good. The only way you know Jesus is good is through proximity. We do not serve a God from afar. We serve a God that is highly invested in us, who wants to be with us, in us, walking before us in our rear guard. And so when you begin to get closer to Jesus and you see his valuable work in your life, when you say, good teacher, it's not from a place of self-perfection, but a place of desperation. Only you have the real answer to this. I've looked everywhere and you can search for all eternity and you will find there is no one like Jesus. Verse 20 says this, you know the commandments, this is what Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. Jesus doesn't quote all 10 commandments. He quotes only five of them. And he quotes the five that can be observed. The five that has an outward tangible, you know, product. He asked this man clearly in front of people that could hold him to account. Now he knows that the man's response will be about his temporary status, not his lifelong status. He's not going to respond, hey, I know... Uh, my whole life has been perfect. What he's going to do in that moment as the rich young ruler is that he's going to know that he's done his offerings. He's done the ritual of cleansing and probably recently hasn't committed any of those sins and therefore when he answers, he can say, I've committed none of these. But Jesus is really asking in your heart, have you really abstained from this? He knows he hasn't. But he asks him, why? Because he wants to see there's a social ramification. These are things that other men and women around would be listening to, would be understanding what this is being. Do you know, if you, there's nothing, you, this is what I love about church. I just went to three different thoughts in my head right now. <laughs> just, just, here. <laughs> it's my filter. Um, in church, one of the things I find interesting, it says, You shall not give false testimony. 
something that constantly plagues churches is gossip. Right? It's gossip. And gossip is a false testimony. It's, and it's false because, one, the person's not there to defend themselves. And two, usually it comes with a very, very slanted agenda. But Jesus puts it in there. He wants to know. Have you been gossiping? Have you been committed adultery? Like, it's not easy what Jesus is questioning here. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about our outward overt behavior. What he's really saying is how good have you projected the, 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 the facade of perfection because I know your heart's been on show the whole time. I just want you to say it. I want you to prove to everyone that you believe you're in perfect standing right now. Gives them the opportunity. He's not trying to lead this man away into a, a lie, by the way. Jesus is walking a very fine line here. He's not leading him into a sinful temptation. He's giving the man the opportunity to state, according to the law, what he's doing, where he's at. But we know that the law is inferior when it comes to the proximity of God. The new covenant in Christ is the superior way to proximity to the Lord. It's actually now the only way. Jesus said it to, to Thomas. Jesus right now is allowing this man to say, in your own strength, where are you at? This morning, in your own strength, where are you at? What have you been doing? Feel good? Pretty happy? Feel like in your good works, you've inherited eternal life? I, I don't feel like that at all. Not out of a perfection, just out of honesty. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do here. Create a space of real vulnerability. And in that real vulnerability, like a safety, like a, a love, a grace. He's, he's challenging the projection of perfection. Ever sat in your own room by yourself and had a deep dive, like the, you know, and allow the Bible and the scripture and God to begin to speak to you about what's actually inflicting you on the inside? Ever done that? The world calls it like a dark soul, dark night of the soul. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You have a very dark night, <laughs> not like Batman. You're like, yeah, that happened. I'm like, whoa, what happened to you? I mean, like just a moment with your most, it's almost an existential crisis. Everything you thought, believed, and, and conceived of yourself is challenged in that moment. Have you ever allowed Christ to do that? Because this is what's really taking place here. Jesus sees his heart the whole time. Verse 21, it says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I love that Jesus gives the opportunity to this man to claim a clean sheet, perfect record. It's like, claim it. And he does. He claims it. He says, I've done it. I've kept all these since I was a boy. It's in this moment we know that there's a high chance that he might have outwardly kept those things, but inwardly his heart is gone astray. We know this because Jesus comes and when he teaches, he takes the Ten Commandments and he makes it harder to achieve. You ever think about that? Like we live in a world where it's just grace, grace, grace. And don't get me wrong, there is grace, but the grace is there to change and achieve what we couldn't achieve outside of Christ. 
He makes the concept of the law even harder because he says it's not just external anymore, it's internal. We had this conversation a while back where we said, hey, if you've, if you've committed adultery in your heart, you've, you've, you've committed it, or, or murder. And then we just sort of looked around and said, how many of you, like you've murdered a few people here? Right, the anger in your heart? This is what Jesus is dealing with. He allows this man to claim a perfect 13 and 0 season. That's what he does. And this guy steps up and he does it. And I think we all would have. I think if we all had done this, we would all have stepped up and said, I've done it. There's nothing since I was a boy. And he's a Pharisee. And that at least we, this is what we understand. He's in that part of society. So keeping the law is important to them. This is not him being frivolous. He's not just making a, a, a simple co- like comment. He's actually going, no, I think I've done my best to keep all of these things. 13 and 0, perfect run. But we know that's impossible. Ever had a friend that always one-ups you? Do you know who I'm talking about? It's the one in every group. Like you could come home and be like, man, literally just wakeboarded on an elephant. And he'd be like, really? Oh, man, I did that before, blindfolded. Hmm. Okay, you're a one-up guy. Do you understand what I'm saying? People of success love to remain at the top. This is no different when it comes to wealth and status and influence. And so he's, his statement that I've never, I've not, I've kept all of these, I've not sinned, I've done this since I was a boy, this claim to a 13 and 0 season allows Jesus to dive deeper. See, Jesus doesn't accuse him of blatant hypocrisy, even though he could have. He doesn't shoot the man's claim of perfection down. He just probes deeper. Don't you love our God? Like, he's not here to embarrass the man. He's not here to show that he knows more than him. He's not here to show that he is the way straight away. He's here to allow this man to have an actual heart journey with him. So he probes deeper. He doesn't set a trap for this young man to be sprung in. Right? If you were Jesus right now and you knew, you're like, oh, he misstepped. He's in the trap. Like, <laughs> taught him a lesson. You ever been hustled before? You know what I'm talking about? You see it in movies all the time. Where someone who's really good at something, let's say it's pool or billiards, whatever you call it, and they play their first game and they purposely bomb and then they double the stakes the second game and then they crush them then get that person's hustled. It's a trap. What I love about Jesus here, he doesn't set a trap. He just responds to this man genuinely digging deeper each time. Not to humiliate him, but to lead him to truth. He doesn't spring the trap because that's what the Pharisees would do. And I know we look at disciples and we're like, we're just like the disciples. We are just like the disciples, but we're also just like the Pharisees. Jesus spends a lot of time with disciples and he spends a lot of time with the Pharisees and yet we tend to claim the cooler people in the picture, right? Jesus is the only person to ever live a 13-0 and 0 perfect season, undefeated champion of the world. This is our Lord, our Saviour. He's the only one that has walked this path. What we see right now is a pretender of perfection having a conversation with the only contender of perfection. Isn't that an interesting dynamic tension there? 
is that perfection itself is standing in front of this man and he still holds forth and fast to his own perfection. And Jesus, instead of pushing him away, is pulling him closer. Because Jesus knows, and we can learn this from him, that the closer we are to him, the more our perfection begins to dissolve. The things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glory. His perfection. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's not disqualifying this man. He's pulling him closer and says, I'm perfection. You ain't what you're talking about as a facade. Leads me to my last point. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Verse 22, I titled this verse, The Prisoner Exchange. There's this moment where there's an exchange that can take place between who is captive and the one who can set him free. And I say it's an exchange because Jesus is faithfully in obedience walking towards the cross. In this moment, he's heading towards the cross. His ministry is leading him to that moment. In time. Verse 22 says this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Don't you love this? Then come. And what? Follow me. Follow me. Put aside your earthly perceptions of perfection, put aside your status and your influence and your wealth that has only uh, the opportunity on this side of eternity to bear fruit and come follow me. Because why? You asked a question, how do I inherit eternal life? Church, this morning, there's only one way we can inherit eternal life, that perfected glory. It's in the journey with Jesus. It's the follow me and I will make you Make you what? I'll make you back into your perfected form. This very verse is one of the most beautiful verses you'll ever read in the Bible. In front of Jesus is a man who has everything this world has to offer, genuinely asking about his inheritance of eternal life, genuinely wanting to know if everything that the scriptures have said in the Old Testament are true. Jesus, through an extended conversation, pulls apart this man's perfection. And even when he doesn't realize he's found wanting, where like all of us, we don't deserve the love, Jesus says, hey, if you could put away everything that distracts you, everything that you've actually made your God, everything that controls you, enslaves you, your desire for perfection, if you could just put that aside and if you could bless some people, do that. Come follow me. Follow me, I lead you to your inheritance of eternity. Follow me so that the work that you do in me actually has eternal value. Follow me so that you store treasure where moth and rust and thief can't steal, decay or destroy it. 
Follow me so that you're doing something far greater with your life than you could ever achieve without me. Follow me so that you can be restored into relationship with the Father. Take a seat at the table. Follow me and I will make you, make you what? I will make you into what you were meant to be in relationship with God. And in that moment, he says, follow me. The man says, I can't. Because what you asked me to give up, I can't give up. Do you know what the saddest part of this story is? Church, would you stand with me this morning? Saddest part of this story is this, and you might not know it. I said earlier that this is such a good representation of the Western church in all our wealth and our opulence and our ability to project perfection and all our ability to almost manufacture church and call it God and all our ability to project that we have it all together, that we've figured it out. He's still saying to me, hey, would you put all that stuff aside and follow me? Would you leave that stuff and follow me? Now, that's not to say it's not nice to have air conditioning. Hold up. Or that our presentation of excellence is an art of worship. I get that. But it's not our security. It's not what we find our stability in. These aren't the qualities and the attributes that save us. That comes from Jesus alone. And my concern is we're all becoming the rich young ruler. At the end of the day, Jesus every morning says, follow me, pick up the cross. Follow me, pick up the cross. Follow me. Are we doing that? Or are we just putting this projection? Are we becoming the modern day pharisaical class? This is the saddest thing. Out of everyone that Jesus personally asked and said, follow me, only the rich young ruler rejected. He's the only one in all of Scripture. He's the only one, church, this morning, as we go back into worship, it's our proximity to Jesus, our desire to be with Jesus. The Scripture tells us that's what qualifies us. It's chasing after Jesus. We don't have to do anything. We just need to ask Him into our life. We just need to surrender to Him. It's not our works, it's His works. But we live right now in a moment in time where we're either going to say, well, Jesus, I'm just going to continue to project that I know you. I'm going to call you good. I'm going to say you're worthy. But I'm going to stay where I am. and I'm never going to change. I'm keep what keeps me comfortable here. Church, as we worship right now, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to set some people free, if not all of us to a degree. From these false securities of perfection, from these facades and whitewash that will crumble and break away in the presence of God Almighty. And this morning, would we have that opportunity to do as Isaiah did and said, you know what, in all that disqualifies me, I know Christ qualifies me. And because of He in the center of my life, here am I. Send me, use me, a vessel, an ambassador, a diplomat. Send me, God. I'll go. Go where? I'll go to the neighborhood. I'll go to my community. Some of you, He'll send you to the other side of the world. Some of you, it might be to another city. Some of you, it's to get up from your office cubicle and go to the next one. Do you get what I'm saying? That here am I, send me notion is I just need to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus find himself? 
constantly in those searching, looking, asking, wondering, what is my inheritance? Church, as we worship right now, Holy Spirit, we ask, would you do a work like only you can do? Would you soften hearts and minds? Would you convict and sanctify? Would you bring to the forefront issues that have held us in slavery? And would you break those chains this morning right now? Would we be a church of generosity, Lord God? Father, that we could store up your wealth, Lord, but would it not be our security? Would it not be our focus? Would it not be our strength? Would we find our focus, our security and strength in you alone, Jesus? Have your way. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.